Hello and welcome to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. I'm your host, Vivian Allred, naturopathic nutritional therapist and hormone enthusiast. If you want to learn how to rebalance your female hormones, regulate your menstrual cycle and reclaim your vitality, then you are in the right place. Each week I will be delving into different conditions such as PCOS, endometriosis, infertility, hypothyroidism, acne and hair loss. Stay tuned for interviews with expert guests, Q&As and solo episodes that are all intended to help you move from hormonal chaos to hormonal harmony. If you'd like to submit a question for me to answer on the podcast, then you can email them to hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. The information shared on this podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not designed to replace the advice of your health practitioner. That said, let's get into today's episode. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Hormones in Harmony podcast. Today I'm joined by my guest Kaylee McDevitt to talk all about ovulation. So what it is, how to support it, signs and symptoms. For those listening to previous episodes, I talk all the time about progesterone health and how progesterone is like the anti-anxiety, anti-PMS hormone. So in order to produce progesterone, we need to ovulate. So that's what we're going to be talking about in much more detail today. So Kaylee McDevitt is a registered dietitian specializing in women's health. She owns a virtual private practice where she and her team help their clients to overcome hormone and digestive issues through personalized nutrition. Having experienced the pitfalls of a conventional approach to women's health firsthand, Kaylee is passionate about empowering women to take the driver's seat of their health and well-being. So that sounds very much like we're on the same page, Kaylee. (laughs) And I would love for you to start off by telling us a little bit more about your health journey and why you decided to train to become a registered dietitian. Sure. And thanks so much for having me. Um, My original interests in this field of nutrition were totally different than what I do now. I grew up like always being an athlete through like childhood and high school and was always interested by sports nutrition. Like I had some, some sort of a ritual around what I would eat before games and it would make me feel really well when I prepared that correctly. And Um, that just really interests me. And I thought, okay, cool. Like nutrition had an impact on my performance. I find that very interesting to have experienced it firsthand. So I went into school thinking sports nutrition was what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with athletes, um, high performance, like even if they weren't athletes, like kind of weekend warriors, I was like, that's what I want to do. And at the same time, I went on birth control very early on, like probably within a few months of ever getting my period because they were like atrocious, like so heavy, so painful. I was missing days of school. I went and saw my doctor and she was like, Hey, we have this great solution for you to solve this problem. Here's birth control. And I was like, sign me up because I'm miserable. And so I, you know, didn't look at any information. I didn't seek it out. It wasn't presented to me, but I took it. It solved my, you know, temporary issue of terrible periods, but I started to feel less and less like myself over time. And I was developing a lot of anxiety and mood issues. My energy was in the tank. Um, the way that I performed even in the sports that I really enjoyed changed. And I remember voicing that concern to various practitioners over the years, and it was largely dismissed. Um, I tried pretty much every pill variety, variety of birth control there was thinking I'd find one that was like a good fit for me. And this is all on top of being in school to become a dietitian and desperately applying what I was being taught and not having it make any impact on how I felt. So I, finished up schooling to become a dietitian. I took the board exam to get my RD and I felt the least healthy I had ever been and very much like a fraud because I was like, God, here I am. I'm supposed to be a health expert and I can't help myself. And so I decided to come off birth control and see what that would be like. Um, spiraled into a lot of post-birth control syndrome stuff that, you know, I'm happy to go into, but it was just a lot of low progesterone symptoms ultimately, because that's typically what happens post-birth control. So the anxiety was there, the skin health was a problem, hair loss, Um, but I dug into the research that was out there, really changed a lot of my perspective around women's health and nutrition and ended up getting back to feeling like myself. And it was kind of a long journey because there really weren't many resources around and certainly nobody talking about that stuff at the time. So I started a blog and was sharing that experience. And I was like, it's probably just my mom and like a friend that's reading this. And then I started to hear from a lot of women that were dealing with the same stuff. And I, you know, looked around at the end of my own health struggles and realized there were a lot of women that were looking for this info. And I just decided like, I probably should change directions with my career because I no longer align with 
you know, what I was being taught and what I was doing before. And there's such a need here. So I had a major pivot and dove into women's health and haven't looked back since. And I really, really love it. And so many women listening can relate. And I certainly can to the experience on birth control. Um, Mm -hmm. I definitely want to talk about like what's happening whilst we're on the pill or any Mm -hmm. hormonal contraceptives and what happens afterwards, like how to support Mm -hmm. that process. But I first want to ask, um, in the UK, like dietitians and nutritionists are pretty different. And I know like a lot of registered dietitians in the US have this more holistic perspective. Mm -hmm. But How do you get trained? Is it more on like counting calories and grams of fat and managing disease? And have you Mm -hmm. had to do extra training to kind of know what you know now? Yeah, so it's still very conventional training. um, And most of it is clinical. So you do a year long internship of supervised practice in a clinical setting, almost exclusively. Sometimes you'll have some rotations out out of that norm. Um, And that's very much medical nutrition therapy. So working on specific disease states, um, very much preaching in accordance with like the general government health guidelines and some pretty outdated, yeah, (laughs) pyramid in my plate, like pretty outdated stuff. Um, The foundational information in like human physiology and biology and biochemistry and all of that, I think was absolutely essential to understand metabolism and how the body works. But my views around nutrition and optimal health have certainly evolved since those days. And most of that was learned post school and post training, just kind of on the job. I had a lot of really interesting jobs right out of school that exposed me to the world of functional medicine. And um, I'm very thankful for that experience because it was totally eye-opening at the time. And I've heard the same thing, even though I I did study to be a a nutritional therapist and it was very Mm -hmm. like naturopathic, holistic, functional medicine based. I left college thinking that I knew everything. Yeah. Like, oh, this is so great. I'm so clever. And then you yeah. get started with clients and you're like, oh my God, I know nothing. And yes, exactly. podcasts and webinars and client experience that has mm-hmm. given me the most education, honestly. So yep. a lot of people like the podcast that I do, a lot of people honestly know more about period health and birth control and things than conventional doctors. Which oh yeah. Is very scary to think like the general lay person um, has this kind of knowledge, but it's also amazing at the same time. Yeah, no, I love it. The interest in these topics has just exploded over the last five or 10 years. Yeah, it's because it's so needed. And mm-hmm. it's not that conventional doctors are trying to harm us in any way with, they're just trying to help. And what they know and have been taught is that the birth control is kind of the miracle cure for yeah. any symptom um, that women are dealing with. Mm-hmm. But what's actually happening when we're taking that pill? Because I remember when I was given it, it was... It, I was told that it was going to help clear my skin and stop my hair mm-hmm. loss and regulate my cycle that had been missing because I was at the time over-exercising, not eating mm-hmm. enough, and had lost my period due to amenorrhea. But um, they can sometimes tell you risk factors, like there's a mm-hmm. slight increased risk of blood clots, breast cancer. I wasn't even told any of that. But when you look mm-hmm. at the pill inserts in the in the box, it's like a, a huge, it's like the size mm-hmm. of a football field yeah. <laughs> when, you, when you lay it out. But... I think women should know like what's actually happening because if mm-hmm. they choose to go ahead with it, that's fine, but yep. they should be aware like what's um, physiologically happening to the body. For sure. And I do want to preface this by saying I'm not inherently anti-birth control. I think that there's a time and place and really it's up to the individual, not for me or you or anybody else to decide, but it is a lack of information that I have a problem with. And I think that there's a lot of overreaching when we talk about what it's described to be able to do. Like you said, it, it'll regulate your cycle it will solve those symptoms. That's what it was told to me. And at the most simplistic view of what hormonal birth control does is it's literally just shutting off ovulation because if we don't ovulate, and I know we'll get into that specifically, we can't conceive. And that's really how it worked as a pregnancy prevention tool is we just shut off ovulation so that there's no chance of conception or very little chance of conception. I shouldn't say no, because it's not hundred percent. But when we do that, we shut off our own hormone production. So we don't benefit from the very helpful, natural, beautiful things that estrogen and progesterone especially do for us. And then to add insult to injury, we have synthetic hormones delivered by the pill or whatever hormonal contraceptive device you're using that have some negative health implications. So we don't get our own hormones and we're dealing with the issues that come with fake hormones. And they tell us that it contains, they often say it contains progesterone, but it's not yeah. progesterone, is it? it's mm-hmm. progestin. Mm-hmm. Big difference. The opposite effects of yeah. everything amazing that progesterone does. Yep. 
So someone who's not yeah. on birth control because mm-hmm. if they are, this won't be happening. The hormones are just, the natural hormones are just kind of on shutdown and then they're mm-hmm. running off this kind of same level of hormones until they take the the pill bleed at the mm-hmm. sugar pills and then they have the, it's not a real period, it's just a withdrawal bleed, mm-hmm. the drug. But a healthy cycle, like how should it go? Yes. So this um, is something that I swear I did not know. I did not understand this at all when I was going through my health journey. And I was like, how is it possible that I just went through all of this school in a health profession and didn't, didn't learn this. So um, I'll get off my soapbox with that, but I hope that that changes. So a normal menstrual cycle, we'll start with the basics. So day one of a menstrual cycle is the start of your period, just so everyone knows how we're counting. So day one of bleeding is considered day one of your cycle. And the first half of your menstrual cycle, roughly 14 days is considered the follicular phase. And it's called that because we're actually developing and maturing a follicle in the ovaries. That's going to have the egg that gets released at ovulation. So during that follicular phase, this follicle is maturing. We're getting ready for what's really the main event of the whole menstrual cycle ovulation, which is right in the middle, typically around 14 days, although that's not exact for every female and at ovulation, that egg is released. And this is when we have an opportunity for conception, if that's a goal. And if pregnancy is not the goal, this is when we need to make sure that we've got some protection or abstinence going on around this window. It's about a five day window of fertility in the middle of the cycle. And after ovulation, we enter what's called the luteal phase. And this is called that because the follicle that releases the egg at ovulation actually becomes a gland called the corpus luteum. So luteum luteal phase, and it makes hundred percent of the progesterone that you'll make for that cycle. So the second half of the cycle in the luteal phase, we've got a lot of progesterone hanging around, which is great because that either is going to, um, hold a pregnancy, nurture a pregnancy, or if we are not pregnant and we're going to be heading toward our next period, progesterone works to keep estrogen in check. So we manage premenstrual symptoms essentially. And so then our menstrual cycle ends with the start of the next period. And then the whole thing repeats itself. And it's on average about 28 days, but anything from like 25 to 35 would be within the realm of normal. So it's okay if there's some fluctuation there. And what would you, how would you describe a healthy bleed period, like the period itself? Yeah. So your period really should almost sneak up on you. I know we were, were trained to dread our menstrual cycle, that it was going to be this horrible experience. And like the commercials are complaining about it. And I just remember having in my head, this fear around having a period because I just heard everybody complaining about it. And it's so common to have very symptomatic periods, but that's very much not a normal thing. We're going to feel a little bit different mood wise, typically leading into that part of the cycle, just because of natural shifts in hormones, but we shouldn't have debilitating mood swings. We shouldn't have migraine headaches at this time. We shouldn't have um, excessively heavy or clotty bleeds where we're you know, going through excessive amounts of super tampons and pads. Um, we shouldn't have extremely painful cramping. Um, it really should be pretty mild and anywhere from like three to seven days of, of bleeding is pretty average for most females and um, mild symptoms is what we should be expecting if, if any at all. I'm glad that you mentioned the whole like belief system mm-hmm. around menstrual cycle health as well, because part of that's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like if you believe yes. something is going to happen and you've been told by your sisters, your mother, your grandparents, that we all have debilitating periods, um, yeah. you're going to be like on the toilet, cramping over, bleeding mm-hmm. through your pants, then it probably is going to happen. But yep. maybe there is some genetic, like estrogen mm-hmm. dominant type issue, or maybe the lifestyle habits have been mm-hmm. passed down and you're just eating similar foods and using similar beauty products to your mom mm-hmm. and sisters. Maybe that's why you all share this common thing, but definitely common, but absolutely not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, the conventional medical system as well isn't, they kind of just think that because it is so common, um, the, if they're not willing to take the birth control, there's really no other option. I was yeah. told like, again, it's either the birth control or just see what happens, just wait and see. But because I wasn't getting any recommendations for stopping exercising so much, eat more food, um, kind of manage stress better, then it was obviously going to continue and get worse. So I jumped at the chance of fixing the issue for the birth control. I actually went for a, a, we call it a smear test, but you call it a pap smear the other day. And um, I realized after I booked it, that I would have been ovulating around that time. So I saw the, the nurse practitioner there and she was doing the smear test. And she couldn't see my cervix. 
And mm-hmm. she's like, this is really weird. I was like, I'm ovulating. So it actually moves higher up. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, do you work like with women? I was like, yeah, I'm a practitioner. Um, but she didn't know. She said some women, it's really low down, easy to see. Some women, you have to kind of, I had to kind of lift my, my um, pelvis up a little bit so she could find it. But she was, she didn't know it was related to ovulation. And same with the, because I, I was producing like uh, cervical mucus at the time. Yeah. We'll talk about these signs as well in a bit more detail. She was mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of mucus here. I was like, yeah, it's like, I'm ovulated. I'm just sad. Yeah. It's, she's like, yeah, it's, is this normal for you? I was like, yeah, pretty, pretty healthy, good sign. Um, yeah. But I was just like, this is so weird. She's working with women all day, every day. And she doesn't know these basic body yeah. signals. Yep. I'm not surprised, but it is also very sad. <laughs> so these are, so the, the mucus, the cervix mm-hmm. position, I just give a little brief overview, but could you talk yeah. about that and the basal body sure. temperature and how those three things yeah. can help you track um, ovulation? Yep. Absolutely. So we've got, like you said, three main physical signs of ovulation. So as you get ready to ovulate, the cervical fluid or cervical mucus that you make actually changes in consistency to um, what's easiest or most well described as like egg white consistency, like pretty, um, slippery and almost clear liquidy instead of thick, sticky or lotiony. And, and it does so not yeah, raw egg whites, <laughs> not scrambled egg whites, <laughs> raw egg white. Maybe some sort of, um, yeast infection. <laughs> right. So raw egg whites is a sign that ovulation is imminent. So it's coming up. Um, and that type of cervical fluid is actually what helps facilitate sperm traveling to the egg. So there's a, there's a whole reason for it. Um, and it's associated with estrogen spiking around ovulation, which it should do. That's actually what's triggering the event. Um, your cervix actually changes position and even firmness around that time too. So instead of being low and hard, it's actually high, soft, and more open again, to facilitate the sperm traveling to the egg. So if you did like a self cervical exam where you are feeling that with the tips of your fingers, you would actually notice different position and different firmness at that time of the month. And then post ovulation, when we're making all of that beautiful progesterone that actually causes your waking body temperature or basal body temperature to be a little bit higher. So by tracking those three things, we can really get good at pinpointing when ovulation occurred. So the cervical fluid and position are more like, Hey, ovulation's about to happen. And basal body temperature spike is saying, Hey, ovulation did happen. And those three together, if someone wants to do more research, mm-hmm. I have some um, episodes on it is known as the fertility awareness method, which isn't the same. If you were to mention that to your doctor, yeah. like, I'm not on birth control. I'm doing the fertility awareness method. They really think it's the rhythm method. So can yeah. you talk about what they potentially are thinking when you mention that and why they don't recommend it and why we don't recommend that? Yes. It's unfortunate that fertility awareness method gets lumped in there with a bunch of other practices. So the rhythm method would be like just marking on a calendar when your period came and counting 14 days from there and saying, okay, that's ovulation. When we know that 14 days is not exact for every female and it's likely to fluctuate a little bit month to month based on lifestyle, stress, nutrition, Um, there's also like the, the moon method, people are just basing it off of moon cycles, which that is very fascinating to me, the relationship between the moon cycles and the menstrual cycle, but I certainly wouldn't rely on that for contraceptives. Um, so there's a bunch of other, a lot less scientific practices lumped under the same umbrella. So when you say fertility awareness method, they think one of those two things that less scientific, less fact or data driven, and more just like months on a calendar or related to the cycles of the moon, which um, are highly inaccurate. So you're going to have to explain what you're doing with cervical or with fertility awareness method. Um, and that might be something that they've actually never heard of. And fertility awareness has been probably used since the beginning of time to either yeah. prevent or promote pregnancy. So it's nothing new. It's just listening to our body's signals and not just using an app, even some of these period yeah. tracking apps, people mm-hmm. using that alone, which is resulting in unwanted pregnancies or mm-hmm. um, not able to fall pregnant because they're not even timing intercourse at the correct part of the cycle because the app's basing it on when their last period was. Right. Um, and it's not based on when they're actually ovulating because that can differ month to month. Yeah. And I think t- being trained in true fertility awareness method and actually doing that for like three to six months should be a requirement as females, because you learn so much about yourself when you do that and get really in tune with your body. And instead of encountering symptoms and being like, hmm, how can I suppress this? We're using them as 
little red flags of things that we could support better and approaching that with curiosity. And I just felt like when I understood fertility awareness method and used it on myself, I still do to this day. It just gave me so much more connection and power over my health and how I felt. And I think it's something every, every menstruating female should experience. Can you imagine if it was taught in schools instead of (laughs) sex education that we're currently taught where they lie to us and say that you can get pregnant any day of the cycle. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's just fear mongering. It's not true at all. And that, mm-hmm. you, that can sometimes make people think that falling pregnant is going to be a super easy thing because mm-hmm. it can happen to anyone at any time. But then they come off the birth control pill and they struggle for five years with infertility. When they're yep. age 35, the progesterone levels are starting to decline. Um, what about the kind of devices and things that can be used? Do you recommend any of those? So I use the Daisy thermometer. Oh, yeah, like me too. Yep. Love Daisy. It's nice because I would rather that communicate with an app for the basal body temperature portion. Um, and I think it's important that you understand and are paying attention to the other two signs, the cervical position and cervical fluid in addition to basal body temperature. But I love Daisy. I've been using that for about five years and it's user-friendly. I love being able to see the graph on an app and I, I like the data. And I agree using other not just relying on one yeah. because anything can throw off your temperature. Like if you're getting sick mm-hmm. or you drank alcohol the night before, or the room is really hot, like that can yeah. throw your, that can spike your temperature. And then you might assume that you've ovulated and you've actually not. And then either again, not fall pregnant when you want to uh, fall pregnant yep. when you don't want to. Yep. Interesting. And I really like the book taking charge of your fertility. I'm not so sure if there's any, is there any yes. courses or any, if someone does want to train a little bit more, is there anything that you recommend? Yeah. Um, fertility Friday on Instagram. Mm-hmm. So at fertility Friday has a lot of great resources for fertility awareness method training, both free and paid options there. And, um, I typically see her doing free like master classes and stuff on this periodically. So if you're looking for more info, I, I usually point people to that page. I think it's great. And that, is that, and that book is so great. Lisa yes. Hendricks and Jack. Yeah, she's mm-hmm. been on the podcast. I'll link oh, it in the perfect. show notes. It was like way at the start. So we did like a full, I think it's like a 90 minutes. She's very nice. generous with her time and education. I know her whole thing is education and just trying to get this information out there, which is amazing. Yeah. So definitely check out that episode if you're wanting to learn more. Do you love coffee, but have been told it's bad and needs to be avoided if you're struggling with hormone imbalances like acne, PMS and period problems? Honestly, most coffee out there should be avoided because the majority are contaminated with things like mold and pesticides, which can drive inflammation and those feelings like anxiousness and jitteriness after drinking. But what if I told you there was a coffee option that tastes great, is organic and mold free, and also provides healing properties from reishi mushroom spores? Enter Organo King Coffee, my latest obsession. I didn't drink it for years, because it would always wreck my sleep and leave me feeling like an anxious mess. But King Coffee does the exact opposite. Don't worry, it's not one of those fake coffee alternatives made from herbs. And if you've tried other mushroom coffee brands out there, I promise this one actually tastes good and is way better and provides so many more health benefits. If you haven't already heard of the benefits of reishi mushroom or Ganoderma, then let me give you a quick overview. It's known as the king of medicinal mushroom family due to its superpowers such as supporting healthy immune balance and being an adrenal adaptogen. This means if your immune system's overactive due to autoimmunity, or suppressed because of things like chronic infections, and you're not really sure if your cortisol levels are high or low, the ratio can help to balance things out and it promotes homeostasis within the body. It's also antibacterial, antiviral, antifungal, anti-inflammatory, pretty much everything that we want from a product. Because of its potency, I'd recommend starting slowly if you're someone who's struggling with more complex chronic health issues or is sensitive. If you're thinking, why can't I just take a reishi mushroom supplement? Good question. Organo use a patented process to gently crack the inner and outer shell, offering 99% bioavailability of the reishi mushroom spores. I also explain this as being like the differences with probiotics. The regular lactobacillus, bifidobacterium options that we can all buy readily in health food shops have some benefit, but nowhere near as much as the spore-based probiotics that I use all the time with clients. Wanting to give Organo King Coffee a try for yourself? Visit vivanaturalhealth.myorganogold.com. This will all be spelled out and linked in the episode show notes and also my bio link on Instagram. 
I really hope you love it as much as I do, but now let's get back to the show. So um, benefits of progesterone, I'm going to cover that in a bit more mm. detail. So you um, mentioned before it keeps estrogen or estrogen in check. What do you mm-hmm. mean by that and what other benefits yeah. can we expect? Yeah, so we can think of estrogen as proliferative, so it builds tissue. So as we approach our menstrual cycle, if, if we didn't get pregnant, of course, and we're getting ready to have a period, the lining and the thickness of the lining of our uterus has a lot to do with the symptoms we might experience at that period. So without progesterone's help, estrogen can grow and proliferate that tissue unchecked. And that's where we tend to have really painful, heavy, or clotty periods. When progesterone's around, it keeps estrogen from doing too much growth. And we have a whole lot less pain, heaviness, and clots with our period. But progesterone does a whole lot more for us than prevent period pain and heavy periods. Um, Like you mentioned back in the beginning, it's nature's anti-anxiety hormone. There's such a big mood connection with progesterone and it helps with sleep quality. It helps with thyroid function, which is why we see that rise in basal body temperature when progesterone's around. Um, It affects even the way that we utilize different foods for fuel. So we actually um, use fats a little bit more efficiently when progesterone's around, Um, affects fluid balance. Like it has a whole lot. We might as well list like what it doesn't affect. Right. Like (laughs) Like one thing. Would be shorter. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And how do we test progesterone? Or can we just assume if we're getting the signs of ovulation, we're seeing the temperature spike that our progesterone's good? Like what, how can we test that? So I like basal body temperature info to assess the robustness of progesterone production because I do think it correlates pretty well. Um, If we're seeing that temperature in like the 98s, then we have a pretty good chance that progesterone is looking pretty good. It's not uncommon for the women that I work with with low progesterone to have really low basal body temperature in the luteal phase. So even if they're ovulating, we're not making enough progesterone to get that increase in thyroid function. Um, you certainly can test it. So if we're testing progesterone, whether it's blood or whatever form you're using, we need to make sure that that's post ovulation. Otherwise it's going to be zero because it's only around if we ovulated. And I can't tell you how many times even myself earlier on in this journey and past clients have had progesterone labs drawn in their follicular phase. And it's like, that's worthless information (laughs) because of course it's not getting them to agree, especially in the UK, getting them to agree to test. They're yeah. like, okay, we'll do progesterone. And then they, te- they don't tell you actually when to do it. So then it's a zero and you're like, this was a waste of time. Yeah, it's silly. So ideally we're doing it around like days 19 or 21 of a 28 day cycle. So a few days post ovulation. So we have a chance to see the progesterone spike going on. Um, you can, there's a company called, and now I'm going to blink on it, but I've tried it. It's like a urine um, little dipstick that you put in your urine that can assess progesterone levels. It's really not giving you a a quantifiable amount of progesterone, more just yes or no about it being present. And it's as a ovulation Mm -hmm. confirmation tool. Um, but yeah, obviously the more expensive ones, like the Dutch test, you can do like the Dutch complete, which is just a one-off snapshot around Mm -hmm. days 19 to 21. Um, yeah. to see how high or how low your progesterone is, or they do the cycle mapping one, which yeah. is good if you're not sure, are you just catching the spike? So when you do a Dutch test, it's really good. It can be high on that day, but then the very next day it might crash. Yeah. So the cycle map would show you pretty much every other day from mm-hmm. the whole cycle, how your estrogen or estrogen is fluctuating. Is it spiking when it should? Is it coming down um, after ovulation? Is your progesterone kind of doing a nice curve and not falling mm-hmm. off a cliff after yeah. three days of production? Yeah. The cycle mapping test is a really cool thing just to see that because otherwise we just don't know what that looks like over the span of that whole phase. We just have that one day worth of data unless we do that. So it is very interesting. Mm-hmm. And with ovulation, so you will always either have a period or mm-hmm. you will fall pregnant after you ovulate either yeah. or, but it's um, the opposite isn't true. So you can have yeah. a period, but no ovulation. Could yeah. you talk about that? Like an anovulatory cycle, what's going on there? Yeah, so that can happen. And if you are aware of how to track signs and symptoms of ovulation, you'll be aware of this. Um, typically, that's because some kind of stressful event happened around the time that you were set to ovulate. And that can be life stress. It can be traveling across time zones majorly, messing with your circadian rhythm. It can be getting sick. It can be... Um, some kind of a infection or something going on physiologically too. really anytime the body does not feel safe, 
it's going to put the stops on ovulation because that's one of the things that the body is always deciding is whether or not it's safe to procreate and safe to divert resources to procreation. Cause that's a very energy dependent process. So if something's going on, that's stressing the body out, it's like, Hey, let's protect her. We're going to shut this down for the month. Obviously that can continue for many months. And we can talk about some reasons why that might happen, but you, you can sometimes have a bleed even without ovulation. And it's just the shedding of that lining. Um, but it's not a true period. And you really wouldn't know that it wasn't a true period unless you were tracking signs and symptoms of ovulation. But the period could be particularly like problematic, that cycle, mm-hmm. or yep. extra lengthy, or maybe like spotting beforehand. Mm-hmm. It may not be like if it was a p- every month, perfect 28 day cycle, great period, then it's very likely that you are ovulating. Yeah. So if you have one, like every woman every now and again has a crazy yeah. weird period, that's yep. normal, especially if you're crossing time zones and things like mm-hmm. that. And um, so that's maybe nothing to worry about. But when it's every single month yeah. and the cycle is all over the place, let's talk about some of the, um, causes that you just mentioned so stress um, yeah. I like to say Big that one. stress isn't just emotional work yeah. family all of that it's having some sort of infection so could you talk mm-hmm. about the um the stresses that could contribute sure so like being sick is very much enough to delay or prevent ovulation for that cycle having some kind of an underlying infection whether that's in the gut or somewhere else systemically in the body Um, Same thing for chronic inflammation. If we're constantly simmering with inflammation, that can be enough to tip the favor toward not safe enough to ovulate. Um, Traveling across time zones is circadian rhythm stress. So our sleep wake cycle is very much tied to our menstrual cycle too. Um, We've got like our typical day-to-day stress that can add to that anticipatory stress for the day. So even just like being stressed about the day can be enough to tip us in the favor of stress. Um, nutrient deficiencies or mineral imbalances can do it too. And I think it's important to just remember how energy dependent the whole process of ovulation is. So if we are underfed, under rested, um, that can be enough stress on the body that we just don't have the raw materials to move forward with it that month. So, um, there are a lot of things that what can, the, can the common that. infections and sources, sources of inflammation that you see with your clients. Yeah. I see a lot of digestive stuff in my clients. We do a lot of work with that and run like GI map stool tests to take a look at what's going on there. So that can be either a lack of beneficial flora, because that has a lot to do with regulating inflammation and immune function, or it can be the presence of some pathogens, whether that's bacterial, parasitic, uh, yeast or fungal in the gut. Um, and that's taking resources away from elsewhere in the body because the immune system is having to put out those fires in the gut not to mention what's going on in the gut affects nutrient absorption too. So we have that secondary like depletion aspect of it. And then in inflammation wise, um, I see a lot of blood sugar issues in my clients. So blood sugar being too high, insulin being too high, uh, chronically that can be pretty inflammatory and that alone messes with hormone signaling pretty significantly. Um, I see a lot of issues with PCOS. Yeah. Yes. Big connection with PCOS. Um, see a lot of like dietary choices being inflammatory for them too. So it's discussions around food quality and good, uh, antioxidants, lots of fruits and veggies in their diet. Um, even stuff with like iron and other mineral metabolism being out of whack. Um, there's a lot with iron and copper in the women's health space that can be inflammatory too. And there's even some women like struggle with years of infertility Mm -hmm. and they have something like celiac disease. Mm -hmm. So eating something every day that is a toxin to them chronic inflammation the gut is like working all the time and they're probably running into deficiencies as a result yeah. so just removing gluten um, i tend to do that with the majority of my clients just to yeah. as a intro like elimination because mm-hmm. most people are sensitive to some degree um but what's your kind of diet philosophy obviously it's going to differ person to person but do you have any like general yeah. recommendations sure first and foremost we have to be eating enough And at least with the population that I work with, um, there's a lot of under eating that's going on, whether it's intentional or not. Um, There's some women that come in and like decades of dieting um, and we have to work on that. Or some people are just unaware of how much they need to eat and just accidentally are under fueling. Um, And that's really the foundation of our pyramid when we're looking at food priorities is making sure that you're well nourished and then taking it beyond that. I care a lot about blood sugar balance. So within that eating enough, are we getting a good balance of carbs, proteins, and fats together to keep blood sugar nice and steady? Because if that's swinging high and low all day, that's significantly stressful on the body. 
of course we care about food quality too. So whole real foods as often as possible, lots of good fruits and veggies, quality animal proteins, anti-inflammatory fats. And it is pretty common. I'd say the most common thing I pull out of people's diets is gluten, at least on a temporary basis to see if that moves the needle for them, because it is so commonly inflammatory. Um, but my goal is always as much variety as possible and to pull out the least amount of foods in order for them to be successful. And there's a time and place for eliminations, but I do try to use that sparingly. And all progesterone comes from kind of egg health. So improving egg health is absolutely key. Um, and things like environmental toxins, heavy metals, Mm -hmm. um, and just kind of free radical damage just from wear and tear as we get older will contribute Mm -hmm. to lower egg health, but are there any particular nutrients that we can focus on? So you mentioned some deficiencies that can become a Mm -hmm. problem with iron, um, but any, yeah, any nutrients that are particularly important for egg health and progesterone. Yeah. Um, big fans of vitamin C and vitamin E. So those are two really great antioxidants. So preventing that free radical damage you were talking about that can degrade egg health. Um, vitamin E is also a fat soluble vitamin. So it can help work as a building block for our hormones since those are all manufactured out of fat. That's an important concept. Um, zinc, selenium, and iodine are all really important for egg health too. And then I'm a fan for magnesium with like really any, like any women's health thing going on or any health item in general can usually benefit from some magnesium. Um, so those would be my first line nutrients that I'd be making sure we were not deficient in. Um, beyond that, there's some herbal things that can be helpful. Like Vitex can be a helpful thing short-term if somebody's having issues with consistent ovulation. Um, but I'm usually starting with those food foundations and specific nutrients. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The micronutrients minerals are extremely important, mm-hmm. but then people overlook the macronutrients. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned eating enough, but then there's the yep. camp of people who are just like, if it fits your macros, just mm-hmm. eat 3000 calories a day if you need that, but it doesn't yeah. really matter where it's coming from. But, um, do you see people particularly overeating, um, any macronutrient or under eating something like carbs? Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of under eating of carbs going on because we went from like a fat fearing state kind of culturally to carb feel carb fearing somewhat recently, like with the popularity of the keto diet really. So I have a lot of women that are very much scared to eat more than like 50 to 75 grams of carbs in a day. Like that feels scary and like it's too many, but from clinical experience, and I believe it was uh, Dr. Laura Bryden that quantified this originally about 150 grams of carbs a day for most women is needed for consistent ovulation, because there's a connection between insulin production and the um, like pituitary hormones that trigger ovulation in the brain. So we do make sure that we're getting enough carbohydrates there are instances where people are getting too much carbs as well, if it's influencing blood sugar. So we may bring that down closer to the 150 range, but that's usually the target that I'm shooting for. And then if somebody is coming from that fat fearing decades of, of nutrition information, they might be scared to eat enough fats in their diets. And I typically don't like to see women eating less than 50 grams a day, just from like a raw materials to make our steroid sex hormone standpoint. Some need much more than that, but that's a minimum that I'm looking for there. And that carb threshold makes sense just evolutionarily and just for women mm-hmm. if there's any scarcity because carbohydrates are the main source of energy as well for mm-hmm. the human body so if you're maybe eating enough calories but really underdo it on the carbohydrate side of things yep. your just female brain will be sent into fight and flight mode because yep. it feels like there's a famine and the the brain especially with female body is very sensitive to starvation mm-hmm. signals so even though you're eating enough Um, if you're not eating enough carbohydrates, then that could be enough to delay ovulation. Mm -hmm. Same thing with uh, how you time your eating too, because Mm -hmm. there are a lot of people that are intermittent fasting and even though their total calories and maybe even their total macronutrients look okay, delaying that mealtime and extending the fasting time can sometimes, and very oftentimes in my experience, be enough of a stress on the body to mess with ovulation. So the female body wants gentle, consistent nutrition. Yes, exactly. And it may work amazingly for men. That's why it was, it's, it's kind of been studied for men and yeah. men really get great results and especially for longevity and things like that and fat burning. But for women, it seems to do the exact opposite in my yeah. experience. Yeah. Yeah. It works maybe for a little bit and then the wheels fall off and it's not good. Very true. And what could be happening? So we've mentioned the things that can delay ovulation in the first place. Mm-hmm. So stress, time zone changes, um, maybe being deficient in something that could prevent you from ovulating. 
but what could cause low progesterone or mm-hmm. uh, a short, it's known as a luteal phase defect, short luteal phase. So you might ovulate, mm-hmm. you might get yep. a good amount of progesterone, but some people it only lasts five to seven days, which isn't mm-hmm. healthy. Ideally, it should be t- uh, minimum 10, I'd say yeah. ideally 12 to 14. Yeah, agreed. It's pretty, it's a very similar list of things that could cause that because it's again, a safety issue, like the brain detecting whether or not we're safe and a raw materials issue. So if there's significant stress from all of the different things that we already discussed, we're diverting resources away from progesterone production and toward those other things. So we're still going to troubleshoot. Are we eating enough and of the right balance for that individual? Are we eating consistently throughout the day? Are we hitting, you know, consistent sleep wake times and taking care of that circadian rhythm? Are we overlooking nutrient deficiencies in vitamins or minerals that are needed to make progesterone? Um, is there something going on with the thyroid that we need to investigate something going on with the gut? So really anything that's applying stress to the body can, um, sabotage progesterone production. So it's just that the, the corpus luteum that's producing progesterone Mm -hmm. and therefore the egg that it came from is just weak and isn't kind of living for as long as it should do. Right. And it needs, I mean, so that's something that needs good blood flow. It needs antioxidant protection from free radical damage. And we also need to make sure that the brain ovary communication is going well too. And that's particularly important for people coming off birth control. And I think that that's a big reason why progesterone production has such a lag time after we come off birth control is we sever that brain ovary communication while we take synthetic pills, um, synthetic hormones, I should say. And depending on how long you've been on it, you know, the brain and the ovaries haven't really had a chance to catch up in a long time. So you pull the hormonal contraceptive out, but it's like, they have to almost get acquainted again to get things sorted out. And that was something that took a long time for me because I went on birth control so shortly after ever getting a period that I didn't even have a chance to normalize progesterone production on my own first. So just remembering that the brain is really calling the shots with the ovaries. So, you know, taking care of that brain is absolutely part of this conversation too. I think it was in Laura Bryden's book as well that she said from the start of your very first period, it takes about seven years for that yeah. brain over a connection to really kind of um, to fit together. So if you interfere and you stop birth control two years in, it's kind of like you have to restart at that point again, once you come off the birth control. So that's why it can take, it took me two years to get mm-hmm. my period back after the pill. There were other gut infections and I was underweight because of my digestion mm-hmm. at the time. So there was other things at play, but some women, um, they get the period back right away, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they fall pregnant, which may not be the best because your yeah. body is already in a state of depletion, but these things can happen, but um, it can be anywhere from like three months to two years sometimes mm-hmm. with some of my clients. Yeah. Yep, Interestingly three. with the um, antioxidant protection and the corpus luteum, I once attended a talk that Dr. Carrie Jones did. She came yeah. to the UK. So she's like the hormone queen. Um, mm-hmm. And she gave a really interesting kind of um, like golden nugget. Um, and it was to increase your intake of carotenoids because they feel feed the corpus luteum. So the Latin, yeah. I think, term for corpus luteum is yellow body. And mm. these carotenoid rich foods, so the yellows, orange, greens, yeah. um, pig, like plant pigments in things like oranges, sweet potato, carrots, they directly feed um, the carotenoids in the corpus luteum. So introducing and increasing your foods around the luteal phase, but pretty much the whole cycle could mm-hmm. increase your progesterone. So that's, yeah. that's great. It's like literally never a bad idea to add more yeah. colorful <laughs> produce. <laughs> that is very true. But is there anything that could happen? So let's say someone ovulated, everything's going fine, no underlying mm-hmm health conditions, could there be a stress in the luteal phase that just triggers the period? Yeah. So you can have something like a stressful event, shortening that luteal phase. And again, it's a matter of stress and taking resources away. Um, And if we can't sustain that progesterone production, then that's, what's going to trigger the bleed because progesterone is really what's maintaining the stability of the endometrial lining. So once that starts to decline, we have like a crumbling basically of that lining in the start of the bleed. So it can come early. Basically anything could go, <laughs> go on in that time frame and, and change the day that your period would be happening. Yeah. It's a very like protective mechanism. So yeah. anyone who's listening, who's struggling with this, maybe miscarriage or mm-hmm. trying um, struggling to get pregnant or is having low progesterone symptoms. It's not that your body is doing this to be annoying, to mm-hmm. kind of ruin your life. It's because it's protecting you. you. Your body probably doesn't have enough resources for its own health. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel like at this moment in time, it has the 
the nutrients or energy to pass on to a new life. Yep. And then that's always the question of reduce stress and anxiety. Yeah. And the question to come back to is always, where is my body not feeling safe? Mm -hmm. Like, where can I be better supporting myself or what do I need to investigate? Because there's always a reason for that. And a great mantra, I tell a lot of my my female clients, a great mantra is I am safe just as Mm -hmm. a woman. That is either saying it out loud or just in your head, honestly, can make the biggest difference because that's all that our body is just detecting and scanning all day, Mm -hmm. every day, either real or perceived stress. So I'm safe. I'm saying that all day long inside my head. I would love, love to know it. your thoughts on bioidenticals. So you've just given us all of the benefits of progesterone and we discussed how yeah. the progestins in birth control are synthetic and aren't the same. Mm-hmm. But what about something like bioidentical progesterone? So if someone is really yeah. struggling with ovulation, they're mm-hmm. trying to work on the root causes, but that just for some symptom relief, do you often mm-hmm. find that it can be helpful or is there anything else that we need to know about it? Yeah, I definitely have had clients in which that's been helpful for just helping them feel good enough to be able to implement a lot of the root cause work because sometimes when progesterone is really low, those symptoms are so severe that it's, it's difficult to do the work that it's going to take to get out of that situation. So I do think in the right scenario, as long as it's bioidentical, it can be a helpful tool. It's not something that I prescribe personally, but normally I'll you know, partner with their OBGYN and have these conversations. I've also had some clients that needed that assistance during early pregnancy too, um, as decided by their OBGYN. Um, and have seen it useful in that instance as well. Generally speaking, I'm not a huge fan of going to that first because I think that there's a lot of work and a lot of um, improvements that can be made with all the lifestyle stuff that we talked about. But if somebody is either so symptomatic that it's hard to execute the lifestyle stuff or it's just taking a very long time to get that symptom relief, I think it can be a helpful tool. Totally agree. And it is a bit of a Band-Aid solution, but Hmm. it can just get you by and just help you um, not feel like a different person for the second half of your cycle Um, but I remember when I took it because I was getting some PMS not knowing at the time that I had parasites and mold illness and Mm. um, all of these gut infections so taking it was more of the you know the yam creams just the ones that you can get um, over the counter and things that I tried and it actually made my PMS a million times worse Mm. my breasts were so swollen and tender my acne kind of blew up and it's because my body was so inflamed. I was just throwing yeah. more hormones into it that it just mm-hmm. got worse. So be mindful. And it, yeah, if you're and using it, it, work on the root cause. For sure. Because it can actually, it does sensitize estrogen receptors too. So if there is estrogen dominance going on or we're releasing estrogen from tissues, it's going to make that worse, at least initially. So it can't be the only thing that you're doing and expect mm-hmm. to feel better. Yeah. So it was definitely estrogen dominance going on. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so to finish up, I think we've covered everything, unless there's anything else you want to mention about ovulation. I think we've covered it all the most important parts. Um, and I'm sure we could chat all day about yeah. women's health and everything, but I always yeah. end my interviews with a few questions for my guests. So we'll do uh-huh. that now. The sure. first one is what's something that you do daily to stay in hormonal harmony? Oh, that is get outside. That is time and time again, the thing that makes the biggest impact for me. Mm-hmm. And when I'm getting stressed or low energy or in a bad mood, it's usually because I haven't been outside. So yeah, even yeah. if it's like two minutes, just step out there, things are better. Yeah. Seeing so the sun is have, very much connected. So Yeah. A lot of people have magnesium deficiency, but I yeah. think a lot, maybe similar people have a nature, nature deficiency. Yes. As well. I love yeah. that. Getting that sunlight in your eyes, especially in the morning time, yeah. um, can help with your menstrual cycle because we're very influenced by the sun and the moon, the light and the dark cycles, as you were saying before, with the um, people being kind of synced with the moon. Mm-hmm. You won't be doing that if you're on the birth control, but that's just yeah. another cool thing that happens when you're in sync with not only your body, uh, but also the world. Yeah. Um, book recommendations. So we've we've mentioned the taking charge of your fertility. So that would be my yeah. recommendation from the episode. Mm-hmm. Any other like women's health, hormone, geeky books that you want to share? Yeah, I think uh, Laura Bryden's period repair manual should be required reading too. Love that one. Um, it's really well written. And I think a great intro to all things female body, but big fan of taking charge of your fertility too. I think both of those together mm-hmm. in good shape. And Laura Bryden's, it's kind of just a find your issue yep. find the solution so it's really easy to read mm-hmm. what's one some one thing that you couldn't live without so this could be a food a supplement mm. a, an appliance a gadget yeah that's that's tough I feel like there are a lot of things um 
dark chocolate brings me a lot of joy. And my other thing that was coming to mind was magnesium. And you get that from dark yeah. chocolate too. So we're just going to combine it. But if it tastes good and it yeah. helps, especially during the PMS phase, actually exactly. scientifically shown. So yeah. get your dark chocolate. See, we're smart. The body knows what it needs. <laughs> exactly. So final question is, where can people find you online? So you're amazing on social media. You're one of my favorite Thank people you. to follow. Um, but also if someone's wanted to work with you, how can they find you online? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. It's at Kaylee RD. My name is spelled weird. It's K-A-E-L-Y. Um, and that's where I spend most of my time and do a lot of like educating and stuff on Instagram. I really enjoy it. Um, and my website is the same. It's KayleeRD.com. And you can find info about working with me and my team on both of those places. Um, so yeah, I would love to say hello to you guys on Instagram if you've listened. Perfect. Yeah. If you've liked this episode, you not only talk about ovulation and progesterone, but a ton of other things as well. So yeah, if you like this podcast, if you like my stuff, you will definitely like Kaylee's as well. So I will link those in the episode show notes. So yeah, I wanted to thank you so much for chatting with me today. This has been really fun. As I said, I would chat to you all day, every day. And <laughs> I love having practitioners um, who follow kind of same root cause, not just band-aiding the issue and helping these women who are really struggling um, and I feel like when you've been through your own struggles it actually makes you a better practitioner so yeah, yeah thank you so much for your time and I've loved connecting with you Kaylee. thanks so much for having me I'm so glad we connected too and I just love the work that you're putting out there and the community that you've created because this is really important work so thanks for letting me hang out thank you so much I really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did and you would love a free copy of my hormone-friendly recipes guide, please leave me a rating and review and I will email you a copy as a thank you gift. All you need to do is screenshot your rating and review and send it to me at hormonesinharmony at gmail.com. This guide contains delicious gluten, dairy, grain and refined sugar-free recipes and all the meals contain specific hormone superfoods. Don't worry, there are no boring salad recipes included. Come and say hi over on Instagram at Viva Natural Health as I share a ton of free content every day and you can get to know more about me and how I stay hormonally healthy. If you haven't already, check out my website vivanaturalhealth.co.uk for my blog and many free guides which cover everything from clearing acne to gut health and hair loss. If you're ready to identify and address the root causes of your hormonal issues, whether that's acne, PMS, PCOS, hair loss or problematic periods, take that first step today and apply for an enrollment call on my website. We'll use this call to discuss the steps that you need to take in order to achieve hormonal harmony and how I could help you get there. See you back here next week for another episode.